One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode... Oh, drat. Hello? Look, Cthulhu, I already told you I can't. I'm going to the skate park with my friends today. Alright, everybody. Welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed that intro. I did. <laughs> You've been enjoying it for quite a while, Albert. I, I recorded this months ago just for the fun of it, and I, every once in a while I listen to it and just laugh. And I've been trying to <laughs> trying to figure out what Cthulhu game to cover for the longest time just, just to use that intro. <laughs> that Cthulhu guy, man, he's a bother, let me tell you. <laughs> ah, goodness me. All right, so so you may have guessed this time we're going to be talking about Cthulhu games, and especially the cards of Cthulhu published by Van Ryder Game. No, I'm sorry, published by Dan Versing Games. I have I happen to have Van Ryder Games on my mind because it's coming up in the news section. Yeah, let's move into it. All right. Um. So the, the first item of news is uh, AJ Porfirio from Van Ryder Games has announced that the second uh the second wave of hostage negotiator packs are going to be done next year and that's already planned and he's going to have a, a guest designer involved in that so the way that's going to be working is that there's going to be a november december release of abductor uh, abductor packs one two three and four all four packs are going to be coming out sometime november december unclear exactly when right now uh, if you backed it, you'll probably be the one of the first ones to know. But otherwise, so coming out soon. Um, but the surprise for that is that Kevin Wilson is going to be designing an abductor, um, an abductor pack. And it's going to be one of the four new ones that are going to be coming out in 2016. So that's one of five, six, seven, or eight. Um, so unclear exactly which ones. Now then, Kevin Wilson... Um, was the designer of Descent, Civilization, Android, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that's coming up. So, you know, it's... I, I mean, I've played a number of his other games. The one I've played the most is probably Descent. So having him involved is definitely an interesting thing to do. I'm curious what he's going to be doing with the Hostage Negotiator games. Yeah, true. He's been involved with a, a lot of Call of Cthulhu stuff, too. Or, I'm sorry, Arkham Horror. And oh, even, so you think he's going to be doing a Cthulhu type uh, hostage negotiator? Maybe that would be neat. He, he's I in a couple of Arkham Horror expansions. I don't know his involvement exactly, but his name shows up when you search him as a designer. You see those games. Mm-hmm. And he also did a, an RPG, something called Octum Cthulhu: The Secret War. Maybe that's a board game based on the RPG, Octum Cthulhu. So, so very timely news. Look at that. And another piece of news. Um, the voting is still going on for the 2015 People's Choice Top 100 solo games. So we still are going to have a link to it. Um, and it's still open for voting. I'm not sure when it ends. Do you know when it ends? It, towards the end of November. So you got a little bit of time left, but not too much. So get it in. Oh, the Delamere's mission is November 30th. Excuse me. So you have until the end of November. So you still have some time. Um, and we'll post a link to it. And again, just go ahead and pull up your list. And once again, I'm kind of curious what's going to be winning. Mm-hmm. I know the hardest thing for some people is just, you know, you pick the games you've played solo and, and now how do you rank them? And that's a hard thing to do. I know for me, I just went through it. I just, I just went through and picked a bunch of games that I've played that I liked. And I think I came up with a list of 30. And then I just started going through and saying, okay, of these 30, which is the top one? Just, which is most likely to get played or whatever. And, 
and going through that. And it was a little bit tricky. It was hard to do that, you know. Uh, you, you keep rearranging stuff. I finished my list and look at the stuff that's left out, and I said, no, no, that that belongs in the list. Where does it go, though? Who gets kicked out? So so it's a tough process, but it's a lot of fun. So if you haven't done it, de- definitely spend some time. It may not even inspire you to, to go back and play some of the games you haven't played in a while. Hmm. Right. I have one other piece of news, sort of pre-news, really. Um, Nemo's War is going to be on Kickstarter next month, apparently. Um, this is uh, from Victory Point Games. This is the second edition. The, the first edition has been out for a while, and I think it's currently unavailable. And this is a neat game where, where you're playing Nemo and you're exploring the, the seven seas. And, well, there's different goals. You could play different ways. You could play in a, in a way where you're doing trying to do a lot of scientific research. or you're, Maybe you're very militaristic and trying to fight the uh, imperial powers. Or you could just be going out for exploring. And, um, and so there's a lot of variety in that game that way. It's really neat. And the cover art for the new game is up on on Victory Points Games website, and it looks really nice. Have you seen the picture? I have not. It, it looks really cool. I'm and it also, me? yeah, let me find it. A few people have gotten uh, pre-release copies and have been playing it. And if you check out the solitaire games on your table, you'll find a couple posts of the game there with lots of pictures. It looks really nice. It's nice colors and stuff. It looks like I'm looking at the article about it on. Uh Victory Points website. How did you find that? This thingy called Google. I searched the website. This, I didn't find it. There's this thingy called Google. It, it doesn't have... G-O-G-L-E. You go there and you find stuff. Now, granted, my computer wasn't running so fast, so it was a slow Google, but it was a Google. And it's got all sorts of nice, pretty art. Yeah, see, that doesn't have the cover colors. picture either. Yeah, no, go to go to BGG and look at or look at the link I sent you. You'll see it there. Just just be patient, listeners. We'll get back to you guys. <laughs> we'll get back to you. <laughs> listeners don't have to put up with all this. Ah, the magic of the editing room. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Nobody else has to wait on my slow internet. Oh, that is really an awesome picture. Isn't it? Yeah. That's that's great. It's one of the that nicest covers cool. I've seen in a while. That's actually really nice. Man, oh, that is cool. Oh, look at that. Now I more want to get a copy of it. It actually looks really nice. <laughs> yep. Very cool. Yeah, but I mean, I'm looking at the pieces also. It looks really nice, too, the pieces. I've never played the original, so I can't really compare it from the original to the current. But, mm-hmm. You know, the gemstones and the dials. Let me look at that stuff. On the link I sent you. Well, I'm going to BGG because I'm already here. The, I mean, the art is better. The ships are similar. The the cut gems are nice. I assume the cut gems the, is just standard VBG fare, but you know, nowadays, laser, yeah, laser cut giant token stuff. The old ones were like round, round counters, I think, and it had a diamond picture on one side and a number on the other. Yeah, but I mean, it's cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I I really like shape meeples as like a Kickstarter um, add on, and essentially that's what they've done here. So I'm cool with it. I mean, they just yeah. get to do shape meeples by cutting thick cardboard, and it works. Yeah, just, make, just make sure you get your centum, na- your your uh, your handy napkins, handy wipes. <laughs> you know, I tend not to use them. I, I kind of like the way they look. Uh, Some of the games come out nice, just leaving that smokiness on there. Now, wh- one thing I don't like about the game, which is just me being obsessive, is that the box is a large size. It's not like the small victory point game sizes boxes. Oh, it's a probably big game. Mean it's more expensive. Yeah, it'll it'll be an expensive one. I imagine it'll be a fifty or sixty dollar game. Mm. 
But, uh, you know, not everything could be perfect. Yeah, like the Darkest, <laughs> like the darkest Night one. Exactly. Yeah, like that, exactly. That size. Oh, well. All right. So so that's it for our news, I think. I don't have anything well, else. No, we, have a co- I, we have a couple more things. I, I happen to have seen recently that Brogle Bros has actually been released and is now available. Yeah, I saw pictures of that game being played. That looks really nice. Yeah, so this is one that uh, I had actually reported back on Kickstarter, uh, back when it was on Kickstarter, and now it's come out to release. I actually had a chance to get it onto the table at my local game group, um, and that was it was really a lot of fun. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, the way that Burgle Bros works is you, it's a co-op game where if you play solo, you're going to have to with multiple people. But the idea of it is... Um, that you're a band of thieves who are running around trying to steal the stuff from the safe and avoid the guards and use your actions to evade detection as you get up there. So the way it is, is there's in the basic mode, (coughs) excuse me, there's three floors and each floor is a five by five grid of rooms and you don't know what the rooms are. And you start with a guard who is walking around the bottom floor where all of you guys have entered and you get to move around. And so you get to use, you know, you get to use the computer room to hack the alarm systems and not trigger the motion sensors or the lasers. And so each of the different rooms will usually do something unique. Like the lasers, you have to spend two actions to get in there. You have to jump through the lasers. Otherwise you'll set off the alarm and the motion sensors. You have to stop there. Otherwise you set off the alarm. And in order to break open the safe, the way it works is you have the square where the safe is. And if you reveal all of the rooms in the same row and column as the safe, you've revealed the combination. You'll then have to add dice to the safe and then roll those dice. If any of those dice come up with a number that matches a number in one of the rooms in that row and column, so you've broken that part of the combination and you've gotten a little bit more in. Once you've rolled all of them, and you have to roll them in order, there's tokens that let you mark which numbers you've already hit. So um, so really you can do it with just one dice if you're feeling really lucky. So once you've done it, you'll break open the safe. Now the safe has actually got some things which make the game harder for whoever's carrying the safe, whoever's carrying the goods out of the safe. So for example, there's one that's a, a Persian cat. And... <laughs> Every time anyone ends their turn, you have to roll a die. And if you hit one or two, the cat runs away towards the closest alarm. So you have to keep chasing. Not only having to chase after the guards, you have to chase after the cat in addition to (laughs) running away from the guards. And then I got stuck with the tiara, which which normally if if the guards walk into your space, you're seen and you have to spend some, some stealth to evade them, which is like your hit points essentially. But the tiara, even if you just move by them, the tiara flashes and it costs you some of your stuff. So these make the game harder. And then additionally, there's events. If you only use half of your turn, and once I had that tiara, I ended up just having to draw event after event because I got stuck so many times. Um, If you only use up half of your turn, you have to draw an event card. And these event cards can be good. In my opinion, they're mostly bad. So they're things like you fall through the floor. Or a guard bursts down a wall and jumps at you. Or you accidentally set off an alarm where you are. And so most of them, I felt like, were bad. And it could be <laughs> just getting a bad luck. We actually did manage to win the game. 
and but it was it was a whole ton of fun. I really really liked this game. Um, the the counterplay between using your actions to move around and all the interactions that the rooms did and the, the working between the different members of the of the club. The first time we played through the game, we were trying not to set off any alarms and be as sneaky as we could. The second time we played through the game, we were like, oh man, we're going to just set off all the alarms. Because if we set off all the alarms, we know where the guard's going to be coming to. So by that, by halfway through the game, like the whole building was just blaring with alarms. <laughs> the poor guards are just going, is he over here? No. Is he over here? No. Is he over here? No. And it was just, it, it was very funny to us. And we're just having, we're having a roaring good time going ahead and just robbing these guys blind. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one. Now, did that work, actually? It did work because, I mean, one of the extra advantages is it normally, the especially the upper-tier guards, uh, they move four at a time. But if you set off an alarm, so they move just to the alarm and then stop. So they're not necessarily moving as fast, and you also know where they're going. So if you have a whole row of alarms, they'll go one at a time down that row of alarms, and so it'll really delay them. So it was, it's a, it was a good strategy to use. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like you guys might have broken the game, though. Uh, well, I mean, it's depending <laughs> upon luck on where it is. So we did have yeah. some luck to get on the third floor a string of alarms just like that. But on the other hand, on the third floor, there's two warp chambers. There's the, the two chambers <laughs> that are the duct, the, the ventilation ducts. And so you can use them to warp from one place to the other. They came up right next to each other. Oh, okay. So we're like, <laughs> oh, so well, useful. that's useful. <laughs> so, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, so we did get lucky having that all up there, but we made u- we made good use of it. So it's all about knowing what's there and being able to make good use of it that lets you mm-hmm. take the game in the end. That sounds fun. Definitely. It was. It was a ton of fun. Cool. And that's it for news. I'll take it. <laughs> You have to make a Cthulhu noise. <laughs> I don't know. Cthulhu doesn't make noises. He's so just loud and scary. I don't know. I'll take that then. All right, and on to Kickstarter. All right, so we're going to start off with Deep Space D6. Um, and you may be familiar with me talking about this game before because I raved about it during the um, print and play contest because I really liked it during the print-and-play contest. This is a solitaire worker-placement worker dice game of outer space survival. Um, I'm going to summarize it again, even though I talked about it a bunch back then, but the idea of this one is that you get six crew dice, and these are uh, custom dice, and they're printed on each side with a different symbol. And you'll roll those, so you have the captains and the tactical, the medics, and you'll use those and you'll assign them to various spaces on your ship and take various actions. Um, one of the dice sides is threat. If you roll three of those, you have to draw a new threat card. Additionally, at the end of your turn, you draw a new threat card. So the idea is you have a whole threat deck. And the threat deck is like flagship or interceptor or neural core or storm. And you have to get through and defeat all of the external threats that are attacking you. So the flagships, the interceptors, all the other ships that are attacking you. If you can defeat them all, so you won the battle, you escape, and you're done. That's it. You win. Um, and that's it for the game. It's a pretty simple, small game, which I suppose shows because it's not that expensive a game. It's only, I think, it's only $15 for the game. It's inexpensive. 
Yeah, that's not bad at all. And, you know, I finally backed a game on Kickstarter again after a two-month hiatus. And, and you know what did it for me? This was the one with the artwork. I could not resist something that looks like a Choose Your Own Adventure book. So let's let's talk about the artwork for a second. Um, The cover of the game, the cover, the box of the game, in my opinion, looks really neat. So like Mm -hmm. you were just talking about, Albert, the box of the game looks like a choose your own adventure. And that was by design. The box looks like a paperback book. And in fact, the box says it's a paper sized back uh, paperback sized books. (laughs) So it's supposed to be like that one picture in the front with a title and in fact, the outer binding looks like pages, and that looks really cool. I really, really like the the cover, the design of the box. I think that looks really nice. Um, so I think that he pretty well he pretty well nailed that. Yep, I I agree. I agree. I'm not so happy about the card art. Uh, what's your opinion on the cards? Yeah, it's very minimalist. I I agree that I'm surprised by that. Like, it'd be nice if maybe there's more color to the ship. And that sort of thing. So the idea what we're talking about is there's four ships, and all of them are supposedly named, although, I mean, the the ship boards are published on the Kickstarter page, and I don't see any names or anything like that. You know, they just look like ship designs. And there's no name or anything like that. I know that he named the basic ship the Halcyon, Halcyon. And so what it is, it's essentially, it's a a drawing it's just a wire drawing of the outside hull of the ship with dotted lines to denote where you put the different types of dice with two tracks one in green for shield and one in gray for hull and with the cards what you have is a name of the ship um, and they're as creative as things like flagship or space pirates and then it has dice numbers on it. And so the idea is that whenever you have the dice numbers showing that card, if you roll that dice for the threat die at the end, so you activate that card. To me, I mean, the game was a lot of fun. I'm not going to say anything about the game because I really liked it. I printed off a copy of this myself when it was on print and play, and I do really like the game. The game is a lot of fun. But, I mean, at this point in time, it's now turning into a published game, at least a nominally published game. And the art... There at fourteen thousand, there was a stretch goal, which gave it art on the cards, and so now what you have is a silhouette on on. I'm not sure some of the cards, maybe all the cards. It's not really clear because he only shows us three of the cards that he's decided on, art which is not final. So it's a silhouette. So for example, flagship is still just called flagship, and it's just got a big silhouette of big ship. Looks very similar to the main ships, and friendly fire. You have a picture of a gun. I don't know. It doesn't look... It, it looks almost like the print-and-play still. Yeah, it, it does. The art is very minimalist. And, you know, if you look at the back of the box picture where it looks like it's the back of a book and it's laid out like a book, mm-hmm. it, it it looks very appropriate. It looks like a book from the 80s, which is when... Mm-hmm. Or 70s, when these Choose Your Own Adventures were being published. And in that context, I think the art is great and it's appropriate. But I, I agree. When you look at the game and you're actually going to play on it, you know, I kind of wish there was a little more to it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I was talking about when I was demoing Hostage Negotiator the last couple the, the last couple of weeks, I pull it out and it's got table appeal. You know, the the board in the middle and all the cards and all the color and graphics and the meeples, and it's got table appeal. With this one, I think the biggest sort of table appeal this one has is the dice. 
<laughs> is, is those full-color custom dice. Those look neat. But I think that the rest of it, I don't think you're going to... I just don't think it wows anyone saying, wow, that looks like a cool game. That looks neat. And I just don't think it does. And, you know, that's okay. I guess that's okay because the game is still a lot of fun. So I'm kind of torn on this one. The game is a lot of fun. I really did like the game. I just feel like it, it could really use more polish in terms of the graphics of the game. Yeah, well, I tell you what, if you had this, if you had this at the game store and you had the box out on the table, I think people would come look at just because of the box. Because, hey, choose your own adventure. I used to have these. And that'll get their interest in the older folks, anyway. Maybe not kids. You know kids. what? There's only one way to know, and that's <laughs> get it and find out. We'll try it out, yep. So we, we, will, we will see how that goes once it comes out, but that's just my opinion. All right. So that's D6, Deep Space D6. And this one's going to be finishing on November 25th, if you're interested in getting in on it. And again, it's just $15, so it's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to get on, remember, that's right, right at before Thanksgiving. So you know, don't, don't wait till that time. You're going to be traveling. You're going to be on the road. You're going to forget all about back at the last minute. Back it now. Well, the rest Definitely. of us are, all the rest of these are, <laughs> are after Thanksgiving, I think. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is Tava Rua. Are you familiar with this one, Albert? Uh, I looked at the pictures. That is that the surfing one? That is the surfing one. That's right. Yeah, man. That's that's neat. That is neat. It is neat. It's got these surfer dudes. I mean, uh, the meeples are, are regular meeples, but it's got surfboards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, nice card, cardstock. Cardstock surfboards. I think they're I think they're actually chipboard um, surfboards. I'm not sure. Um, I think that you can get hard wooden ones. I can't remember with the deluxe version if they're wooden, but I think that they're chipboard surfboards that you'll move along. So your meeple will fall down on it and he'll ride the waves and he'll fall off it. And so you, you, it, it has a nice toy factor and it's a full color game board and it's got these wave tiles that, that move along. So the idea of this game is that you are a surfer and you're trying to net the most score possible. Um, I, I think that the, 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 biggest competition here is just whoever has the biggest score so it's it's a score game but it does look unique um you place out the wave tiles along the left side of the board and there's six and the idea of the wave tiles is you'll roll the wave dice and the wave dice represent the strength of each one of those waves so for example if you roll a six wave it's a really powerful wave and it'll start from way back up Um, but if you roll a one so the wave will only start once it reaches close by. At the end of each turn, you'll push those wave tiles towards shore and cycle around. So you'll, the, the one that's in the closest spot will come off the board. You'll re-roll the wave die, and it'll go back to the top. So you're constantly cycling those wave tiles. And you have two different types of boards. You have the long board and the short board. And you'll also have a hand of cards. And those cards can do all sorts of different things. This is, this is a multi-use card. Uh, a multi-use board. Multi-use cards, excuse me. <laughs> and so the way these different cards work is they do different things depending upon where you put them in relationship to your player board. So if you put them on one side of your player board, you're going to be trying to go further out or come back in the the in the water so you can try and catch a wave or you can try and catch a wave or you can jump out of a wave or you'll end up wiping out or you can try and stick to a wave and do tricks 
And doing tricks is a good way to start scoring points because as you do tricks, you'll score points and the, the cards will keep total and you'll be able to get more points. But the problem with, with tricks is it'll move your balance around. So if you do a trick that moves your balance to the front of the board, well, immediately after that, you get to play a wave card. Now, there's some prediction to it because the wave cards will say, for example, this is going to be a 1 to 3 going forward. So if it's a 1 to 3 going forward, you know you don't want to be at the front of your board. But if you have no clue, so it's a 1 to 2 forward or back, you want to be in the middle. Because if that shows up and you're already in the forward and since you go forward more, you wipe out. You fall off your board and you lose your points. So you get to play those cards to the different sides of your board to do different things. And so you ride the waves and pull it back and you keep running until you score however many points it is that you can score. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you know it when you look at the the pictures, the looks like animated pictures on the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. It really looks like a couple guys are surfing, mm-hmm. and you know they're riding their board out out to, to the waves, and then waiting for the wave and catching it back, and going back and forth. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to compare it to the last one, but I mean, here you have these full color art with really dynamic and really catchy art with the boards and the surfers and the tricks and the wave. And, you know, there's there's a lot of thematic draw to this one because it really looks mm-hmm. really nice on the table. And the mechanics look like they'd be a lot of fun with the idea of this trick that you keep playing as you move along the outside of the board. That looks, I mean, this one looks like it'd be very interesting to me. Yep, you're right. Though, though you know, that fifteen that other one is $15 and I backed it. This one's 40 and I haven't. Yeah, so that's true. So as compelling as it looks, you know. I'm still I'm still going for that simple one. That's true. Yeah, no, I'm not saying I mean I'm not saying one's wrong or the other, but I'm saying this one to me yeah. personally, this one looks more interesting. But as you said, this one is forty dollars and the other one is fifteen dollars. So you pay something for a little bit, you know, you pay more to have more there. This one also has all the tokens and the wood meeples, and this is not a solo only game. This game plays up to I believe four players. Uh no, excuse me, it plays up to six players. So this is a one to six player game. Uh, one to six on the box, so it's designed to be played solo and it's designed to be solo friendly. Um, and it's got the the blue dice and a lot a lot of nice stuff going into this box. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the forty dollars is for the the basic edition. If you want the collector's edition, it's another ten dollars, and that gets you some silk screened uh, wooden bits, mm-hmm. some score tokens, and trophy tokens. Have you ever surfed? Uh, I snowboard. Okay. Kind of close to the I, same thing. I've never no, done I don't that. know if it's at all close to the same. You, <laughs> you don't wait for the snow to very fast. <laughs> I did that once in, when I was living in California. We went to Tahoe and I kicked myself in the back of the head with my snowboard. <laughs> and that hurt. Man, oh, that hurt. Man. But uh, that, that's the only time, on, uh, my only experience with either. I've oh, never man. been on a surfboard. Nope. Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun on the snowboard until I took a... I mean, it was my first time out there. I took a bad fall, then I was, you know, all Mm -hmm. beat up for the rest of the time. But yeah, it was fun. I I did enjoy doing it. Next one I want to talk about is Centauri Saga. And so both... Excuse me. Both this one and the last one and the next one are all going to be funding November 30th. So you have until the end of November to do these ones. So this one is Centauri Saga. And so this one is a space exploration game. And the idea of this one, it's for one to four players. Um, 
And the idea of it is, and so currently the wonderful players, when when you're playing solo right now, you do have to play with multiple hands. And the idea of this one is that there's various different campaign scenarios, and you are a spaceship pilot, you are a spaceship crew, flying around space trying to do various different things. And what exactly you're trying to do depends based upon the scenarios. So one scenario, for example, uh, has you having to collect up all of the natural resource and bring it back to the Stargate and repair the Stargate and escape there. And so that one is co-op. There's another one that is not co-op, where your goal is to collect resources by blowing up the other guy. And so you can play it different ways. So this has that variability. But when you're playing it co-op, so you can play it solo. Now, I've spoken with the designers, and they say that they're working on a way of playing games just solo, where you don't need to control multiple sides. Theoretically, it shouldn't be something more that they add to it, because it just requires extra campaign scenarios, which could be just downloaded, downloadable even. Um, but they don't have anything like that yet. At this point in time, if you want to play co-op, you're going to be controlling multiple ships. And this is one that does have miniatures. It has, I think it's got four types of miniatures in the game. And then I think with the stretch goals, they may be coming out with more if they manage to unlock the other ones. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, this one this one looks nice, too. Um and the videos are interesting though because they they look like video games. Because uh, when you watch the the intro video, it shows you like these three D animated ships moving around on the tiles and stuff. Yeah, which, which is kind of funny. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, watch, watch the main video. It was a little surprising. Um. Oh, you're saying it looks like an animated video game? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, which was which is an interesting choice for a board game. I don't know. It looks very nice and polished. It looks cool. It does. Though it didn't give me a good feel of what the game itself is actually like. I bet the ships aren't... Well, depends who's playing, I guess. Some people may pick them up and go... <laughs> and move them around the board. <laughs> Are you saying you don't make noises when you move your ships around? <laughs> Not usually, actually, huh? You're missing out, I'm no out, fun. Man. You're missing <laughs> I definitely talk to my pieces when I'm playing. It depends on the pieces. game. It's funny. If I'm playing a solo game and I'm playing by myself in the house, I won't. But if there's anybody else there, I'll start talking to the game. Really? <laughs> if I have an audience. <laughs> you only talk to the game if you know somebody else is listening. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the fun? <laughs> I don't know. Express your frustration in the game. How dare you kill me well, again? I, I, I will get frustrated at the game sometimes. That's true. <laughs> dare you kill me you killed me you sucked my battleship so the yeah. idea so the idea of what side quests is is this is supposed to be a small adventure and so they're another one that's that's trying to get into the these small realms this is one to four players and it's 23 dollars and so the idea of this one is is it's trying to bring a full dungeon crawl uh, you know it's trying to miniaturize something like descent is what it's looking to do and so you have locations, uh, location cards, and you know your heroes are just cards that'll move around these location cards to show what it is that they do. And 
you get actions. And your actions, you can move, you can attack, cast spells, trade, use your abilities, sneak around, stuff like that. Or activate special abilities and things, or activate rooms to do other stuff in the rooms. And the idea of this is, is that you have to do whatever it is that's special for each room. So there's there can be find a key, rescue a gem, protect a person, slay a boss. And so the different sort of things will create different dungeons that are involved. And you know, one of the things that they definitely go on for them that everything is unique. They they really didn't reuse to my knowledge, I don't think they reused anything amongst all the cards. And there's there's a bunch of bo- cards in the box. There's seven locations, eight heroes, 22 monsters, 20 equipment, 12 weapons. So they didn't really reuse anything. And that keeps everything very nice and unique about how it is that everything will play out. Um, and essentially, it's just, it, you know, it looks to me like it's a miniaturization of Descent. You're, you're running through these locations and beating up the bad guys, using your stuff and trying to do whatever it is that is. Now, unlike Descent, there's no... I'm, I, I just mean this like a dungeon crawl. There's no one you're fighting against. There's no one controlling the other side. So it is solo-friendly. It's full co-op. And it looks interesting. Uh, you say you're not so into the art, Albert? Yeah, I'm not into the art. It's fine. It's just I'm not into that style anymore. anymore? To me, it looks a little bit like a Jap- Japanese sort of style artwork, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I used to used to like that a lot, but I don't know. I don't know why I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So that's side quest. Now, one thing they have a they mentioned that if if you share their Facebook posts or retweet their tweet messages, Twitter messages, they'll give you a free copy of a Great Big War game. I haven't played Great Big War game, but they had another game, the same company. I made that one called I think the Great Little War game. Have you ever played that? I play both of these games. Okay, and and those are really good. They're they're hex based uh, war games. They really feel like a board game. Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. With with very spruced up graphics. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, they're turn based uh, war, war games um, where you have to use vehicles and weapons and and structures to yep. beat the other side. Yeah. Yep, and you get different unit types, and the the different unit types fight differently, and that sort of thing. Have different movement. They're fun. Range and whatnot. They're fun. So if you want a free copy, just go retweet this and, and try that board <laughs> game out. <laughs> Unique right. solution. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm surprised they're giving that. I wonder if it's the same publisher or something. I assume it is. Mm-hmm. All right. And that is Kickstarter. All right. And so next up, I want to talk about a little bit a little bit about Lovecraft in board games, especially, I guess, in solitaire board games. You know, there, there's a lot of Lovecraftian and Cthulhu games out these days. And, you know, I think some people are not that familiar with the Cthulhu mythos. So it'd be fun just to talk a little bit about what that is and, and what I think about it. Um, so first of all, H.P. Lovecraft, Hard Philip Lovecraft, was a, a writer. He wrote in the 20s, especially. I think he started writing in the probably the early 1900s. Um, he was never a very famous or successful writer by any stretch when he, while he was writing. Um, I think he died pretty poor. And he did publish in pulp magazines, but he, he just never became very big and successful. He published in magazines like Weird Tales, if you've ever heard of that magazine. Um, and when they say weird, they, they don't mean weird as in strange. It used, the word weird used to be more like supernatural. Um, so when you see weird tales, you imagine the word supernatural tales, and that's more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so a lot of folks think of him as the creator of the Cthulhu mythos, and I don't think that's necessarily accurate statement or 100% accurate. He, he wrote stories that had different monsters in it and characters and books that showed up, and when he'd write other stories later on, he'd borrow from his old stories and throw things in again, but he never went out to create a mythos, per se. And I think the mythos developed over time because when he wrote, he had a lot of he would uh, have correspondences with a lot of people, including some other famous writers, which are now called the Lovecraft Circle. It includes like um, Ramsey Campbell, Robert Block, and a few others I can't think of offhand. And these different writers started all borrowing from each other and putting each other in their stories and the characters. And Lovecraft, for example, came up with the uh, Necronomicon, and other writers would borrow it. And so over time, all these stories started developing into a, a semi-coherent mythos um, with the same recurring themes and that sort of thing. I think that's part of what makes this really compelling is you've got all these different pieces of information from different writers, and they aren't always very consistent. You know, one writer might say one thing and another writer would then borrow a piece of what he wrote, but not use it in the same way. So you get conflicting stories. So it sort of feels like you're uncovering hidden information that you only have half the facts or half the truth for. Um, as you read these all these different stories and start putting them together in your head as, you, as you've read a lot more and more of it. And so that adds a lot to the to the neatness of the mythos, all, all that unknownness in there. And you kind of feel like you're still discovering because there's still people writing a lot of Lovecraftian stories, a lot of Cthulhu mythos to this day. And it's become really popular now. As you guys probably know, because there's so many... Lovecrafting games out there. Um, so some of the qualities of a Lovecrafting story, they a lot of them tend to have unknown horrors. These are things that people didn't even know existed before, and so they sort of stumble across these facts about uh, terrors going on and monsters and secret cults they never knew existed. And as they start digging in, they start piecing together different pieces of information, which which. Hint, all, hint at what's going on really in reality. Or are they, for example, in one story, um, at the Mountains of Madness, some explorers go to Antarctica and stumble across ancient ruins by an ancient civilization that predates humanity, it seems. Well, in the end, it doesn't predate humanity by a lot because it created humanity. Spoiler there, sorry. Um, but th again, this is something they stumble across and explore and discover and figure out that things are really horrible and terrible and nobody realized it until now. Um, a lot of times the heroes in the stories are, are doomed, maybe from the beginning. These heroes tend to be very regular people. They're not like uh, Indiana Jones type characters, that they're very capable fighters and that sort of thing. These are just regular professors or librarians or or whoever. And they stumble across these things and just can't cope with what they discover. So a lot of these stories, especially Lovecraft's story, ended up uh, with an unhappy ending. So characters shoot themselves, go insane, whatever. A, l a lot of the stories happen to mention rare books like the Necronomicon, uh, the Keenan Yellow. And these are all old, ancient books of hidden information. Um, Lovecraft came up with a few of them. And some of the other writers will start adding more and more books. So there's a whole slew of ancient books to be discovered and whatnot. And that seems to be a recurring theme in many of these stories. Um, and a, a lot of the monsters that show up in the stories tend to be... It, it, interestingly, they seem to be alien races from 
from far out in space or even from other dimensions. There are actually some zombies in there and that sort of thing, or at least ghouls, but may as well be zombies, I guess, almost. <laughs> I, I don't think zombies will be out of play. So folks like me that are, are bored of zombie games, you know, they're, they're kind of Lovecraftian, I think. They can be. They can definitely fit into the mythos. I think they, are, they can. I think, I think most so. the the Lovecraftian games have some sort of zombie in them too. They do, and and every time I play a game and I stumble across one of these monsters, it feels out of place, even though it isn't necessarily out of place. Um, which is such a strange juxtaposition there. I think that one of the realms that's connected to is actually a realm of the dead. Is it okay? I haven't come across that that I can think of. There's well, I know the. In some of Lovecraft's stories, they do go into the underworld and that sort of thing, and they and there's ghouls that live there. It's close and there are me. stories with uh, remnants that come and come back to life. Close enough. So for yes, me. you're right. I mean, there is a lot of zombie type stuff in there, which is interesting. And so now, when you start looking at the board games, a lot of the games are out now that are Lovecraftian themed tend to focus a lot on the fighting, which is kind of strange because a lot of, at least in Lovecraft's original stories. Fighting usually failed. You know, if you're fighting, you're more like getting killed than fighting. <laughs> well, I I think the reason for that is because in most Lovecraftian stories, they're epic tragedies because they don't normally win. <laughs> I think in most Lovecraftian yep. stories, it's a failure, and so you have to have something to do in the board games to actually be successful. And right, and you can't fail. Yeah, you can't fail in the board game. So you have to be able. If you're going to fight, you have to be a good fighter. Yeah. And if there's monsters, you gotta fight them. What are you gonna do? Just ignore them? Yeah. So, so it's a strange, it's a strange again, something strange. But that's the way the games are these days. But I think also, uh, a lot. I think a lot of mm-hmm. them isn't a matter. I mean, you do have with like Arkham Horror, where they actually do manage to fight the ancient old ones. But I think some of them is more thematically tied because you can't really fight the ancient old ones. These are ultimate power types, and your your best way of doing it is to prevent them from getting a foothold in the world. And for many of them, so that yeah. kind of does fit in, just normally in the books that they don't succeed. But it's at least in the realm of possibility within the mythos to prevent them from getting foot on the world and reawakening. That's yeah. possible. In, in at least the game we're going to talk about today, Cards of Cthulhu, if the, the old ones wake up at all, you've just lost the game mm-hmm. at that point. They don't even try and represent the, him in a game. Mm-hmm. And but that's an interesting thing. But yeah, I mean it's true. What are you going to do in all these games? You just have to to fight them because otherwise the game wouldn't work. Which which is fine. It's just a different take on the mythos, which is what all the writers have also done. Um, most of them will have Cthulhu. You know, he he's the the poster boy for the for the mythos, really, and so he shows up in just about any game. And. And I guess the weird thing that which I personally don't like so much, but again I understand is that they leave you with the impression that you actually can beat these monsters. Um, in a lot of the stories by Lovecraft, it, it really these monsters are you aren't gonna be able to fight them. You may manage to to get away from one and survive, but you know you're gonna be terribly scarred and wounded and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's. More like, you know, there's a few different games. There's Arkham Horror, um, which is probably one of the best-known and older ones now at this point. And that's solitaire playable. It's a cooperative game in which you're 
an old one is waking him up and you're going around the city of Arkham trying to find clues and fight monsters and stop the guy from waking up. And if you can't stop him by closing these gates that he's coming in through these ultra, you know, dimensional gates, then you have to fight him. Then there's also, is it, um, what's Elder the Char? other one? Elder Elder Char. Elder Char. Thank you. Elder Char is similar to Arkham Horror, right? But that one you're traveling the world, and that one I think the theme fits better because you're actually going all over the world exploring different things instead of running around the city of Arkham fighting all these monsters that are just running down the streets. That that always seems a little bit overwhelmingly odd. And in a uh, Eldritch Horror, it's it's all spread out over the world, so and it takes time to travel to places. So it does feel like there's, you know, it's more manageable, more realistic. I think, at least personally. Um, and then Eldritch you got Sign. Eldritch si- Elder Sign. I'm just getting so confused with these titles. And that, well, that's just a dice game with a theme on top. Shadows of the Elder um, Gods. But Sh- I don't know that. Shadows of the Elder Gods is a mini game published by um, Laboratory. And it's teen- it's a it's a micro game. It's teeny tiny. It's got small cards and small tokens. And the they do have a unique mechanic in that the threat deck is a double-sided deck that you're working through. So you have a top threat, and then when you resolve it, you flip it over, and you see what's on the other side of the card that's on the bottom. And then you keep moving through that way, um, which is a unique mechanic, that that flippable threat deck. Um, Gets you a little bit more life out of some of the cards, so it keeps even more mini. Uh, Personally, I wasn't wasn't actually such a fan of it. Um, I did playtest it for them, and I didn't like some of the decisions that were made on it, so I, I didn't work great for me. But I know some other people who do really like it, so that's that. Okay. So yeah, so there's a few different games. I'm sure there's more. I can't think of any offhand. Oh, I'm trying to think of the one. There's another game, and you may go, "Oh, it's that one." Um, but there's one where you it takes place on alternate timeline. I think it was even in a book written by Stephen King, which mixes Sherlock Holmes and um, Cthulhu mythos. And the idea of this game is that you're either on the Cthulhu side or you're on the other side, the Resistance side. And the idea in Hmm. this uh, alternate history is that the Elder Gods did awake and they took over. And and if you're on the, the Resistance side, the idea is that you're trying to go through and you're trying to assassinate the Elder Gods and free humanity from them. Whereas if you're on the Elder Gods side, so you're trying to keep them keep them safe and f- discover who is the uh, Resistance members and prevent them from being able to take action. And I'm trying very hard to remember what the name of this game is. I'm not familiar with it. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Because I recall... At one point in time, the game actually um, was uh, highly praised, and it did sell out, and it went into a second printing. And it did look like it was a lot of fun. A Study in Emerald. That's what it's called. A Study in Emerald. Oh, uh, okay. And so it did look like it was a lot of fun. I, know, I think that it had some flaws, but I think that they tried to help address some of those in the second version of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you have this secret mechanic about 
you're controlling invest you're controlling investigators and agents and trying to sneak around the board. So it doesn't play like your other like your Arkham Horror or other things like that. Um, because the the whole theme of this one is much different. On the other hand, it's still a Cthulhu game. Is that soloable? I don't think it is. I don't think it is soloable, but it's a Cthulhu game. Okay. That's true. Um there's a game I have that's soloable that has a Cthulhu expansion for it. Oh, well, that's right. There's a Danversing game. One of the in the leader series where there's a Cthulhu expansion. But the one I am thinking of is When Darkness Comes, which is a it's it's for one or more players and it's a game where you can control characters in a in a city and you're going around exploring and there's different monsters coming along. And this is an older game. Um, from Twilight Creations from 2002. And it uses an interesting mechanic where when you're rolling the dice to fight and doing things, you're you're rolling poker hands, basically. So you're trying to get pairs and straights. Mm-hmm. And the better your your hand is, the better the more successes you have. So you're trying to get a certain number of successes using a poker hand with dice, <laughs> which is a neat mechanic. So, yeah, I, you know, and there's there's there could be so many more games. I would love to see a game in which you're trying to wake up Cthulhu and sort of by lining up the stars so he shows up. And I think I've heard of this theme, but I, I thought this would be a great Victory Point game title. We're sort of like a States of Siege setup. We're trying to wake up we're Cthulhu? Set- yep. Well, I know there's that yep. other game where you're uh, various cultists and you're fighting to against other cultists to destroy the world. I don't think that's a Cthulhu game, even though it had like that nightmare horror monsters, but I can't remember what, what one that was in. I don't know. Oh, there's un, Unspeakable Oath, is it? I think that's a die-rolling game that's Lovecrafting, I believe, has a solitaire variant for it. Oh, there's also, there's also the other one that's uh, that's um, the Book of Unspeakable Horrors is a cooperative game. I think that's what it's called. Okay. The Big Book of Madness, that's what it is. That's a new game, actually. Yeah, I was looking at that. That right, looks that neat. does look neat. Where, uh, I, I mean, again, this is the sort of thing that Cthulhu has like these minor influences to really talk about it. But with the Big Book of Madness, is you started reading from one of these ancient texts, like the Necronomicon, and you're stuck reading it, and you're trying to, um, you know, break off of reading it before you release Cthulhu or something similar. That's right, and this is a cooperative game for, I think, for two to four players. So it's two potentially soloable. Two to five? Yes. Okay. And it is soloable controlling two players. Okay. And there's also the Call of Cthulhu RPG, and there's a, a couple solo adventures for that. There's a free one you can get from Chaosium. Uh, I forget what it's called, Alone Against Something. And you can get it from their website for free. Download it and play it. Um, so yeah, so th- there's a lot. There's a lot of Cthulhu games out there. There should be more, I think. There should be some that are more thematic, where you're spending less time fighting and more time just exploring. Though I know that that sort of thing is hard to do and do it well. Um, so why do you think that, why do you so think yeah, it is that, that there's so many Cthulhu games? You know, Love, Lovecraft has become really popular the last few years and I don't, I don't know why. I just, I know he was not popular for a while. As a matter of fact, it was, 
around 87 or so, I remember I went to the bookstore and I, I had read I'd read about Lovecraft and I wanted to read any, something by him. So I asked the person that worked there, oh, do you have anything by H.P. Lovecraft? And, and one of the people working at the bookstore said, oh, I've never heard of that. Who is that? And the other person turned to her and said, oh, that's just some minor, I did a book report, that's a minor hack writer that he, he lived in the 20s, it's not very good. H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> that was a comment. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, and at that point in late 80s, he still wasn't that popular yet. Um, he, he was becoming more and more popular, I think, but, you know, five or ten years later, he was all over the place for sure. So it was interesting. So it, it happened pretty quickly, I think. Interesting. And... Some of that might be because of um, the role-playing game, for example, made it popular too. I think also Fantasy Flight has that really came out also been pushing it with their Arkham Horror and Elder Horror. But I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why it uh, became so popular actually has to do with, I think, starting from it um, is actually having to do with the licensing of it, which is why it was selected for a number of times that with H.P. Lovecraft, his original works are old enough that Mm. many of them are already in the public domain. And even many of the later ones, so it's unclear who holds the copyright and if anybody's doing anything about the copyright. So it's a cheap copyright to do it. If you want to do Star Wars, you got to pay big bucks over to Disney (laughs) to get your Star Wars license going. Or if you want to pull into any of these, so having an established world, and especially one that's already popular that people are familiar with, um, gives some benefit to publishers. And so when that established world is cheap, so the publishers start liking it. So I think that's one of the things that started getting it off going. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, so that that's Lovecraft. I do want to see more games. Uh, like I said, I want to see more more that have less fighting. And more, more that are strictly solo. Well, let me just ask you. So Go for it. Now, then you're saying that you think that the Cthulhu games could be more thematic by having it be more exploration. Yeah, that's right. Um, is, you know, I wish games had more exploration in general. You don't see that many games that are just about exploring. Is there something you feel like is a detriment to the Cthulhu, to, to having so many times we're having the Cthulhu mythos coming out, like... Almost the extent that it has to be just thrown in everywhere. You know, I remember with Smash Up, they were like, oh, we have the, they, they released an expansion, the obligatory Cthulhu expansion, because you have to have Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. So do you feel mm-hmm. like maybe the amount of Cthulhu we have is now, you know, almost distilling it, or not distilling it, is, is already diluting it to such degree? Or do you feel like, are we, are we reaching, are reaching the issue that Zombies has yet, or no? You know, I was at the game store about a month ago, and, and somebody asked about a game, and the person said, oh, that's got Cthulhu. You know, it's the new zombies, because it's everywhere. Cthulhu's everywhere. Um, I think it's getting to the point where it's too easy to make a Cthulhu game that they just tacked on the theme to sell it, it seems, and it's not that good. But I think there's still the opportunity for a lot for more games that are, have a really good theme okay. and are actually thematic, especially if it's a solitaire game. Um, I think a solitaire game could, you could take more chances, and you could be a game that maybe is a little slower and whatnot if it tells a good story. I think a lot of solo gamers enjoy games for the story at least as much as for, for trying to beat it or not beat it. We're we're in a multiplayer game; you couldn't really get away with that as easily. Okay. So I think there's an opportunity for a lot more, 
Lovecraftian games that focus more on theme and less on fighting monsters. So you're saying there's still opportunity for more to be done because there's still more story available in Cthulhu. Yeah, yes. And because many of the games out there haven't really focused on the story that much. As opposed to just sort of setting up a nameless bad guy to beat. Yep. And and do you feel like some games maybe choose Cthulhu whereas they could have picked a different setting? Or do you like that they have Cthulhu for some of these? Like, for example, Arkham Horror. It could have been fantasy-based. It could have been set in The Witcher. As, I mean, The Witcher game did. Yeah. It could have been. Do you like having them be Cthulhu? Is there something about Cthulhu that draws you? Or, okay, it's a theme. It's a fine theme. Um, You know, if it feels like the theme is just thrown on, I don't enjoy it. Arkham Horror, when it came out, it was based on an old game from the 80s. That was set in that theme. It was called Arkham Horror. Um, I believe it was late 80s. Maybe it was from the 90s. And and so that game was published to recreate that. The, the new edition by Fantasy Flight was published to create that. And so that one I think is okay. The, the theme could be better in that one, but it's okay because of its origins. But a lot of the other games that have come out later, like, I don't know, say Munchkin Cthulhu, that feels a little pasted on. Well, it's Munchkin. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you can bring any proofs from Munchkin. But, you know, for example, um, I, I suppose this almost comes to the question, but, you know, the Cthulhu RPG, uh, that's not even a good example. Um, Cthulhu Wars, for example. There's- mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that, that didn't interest me at all. It, it's, well, you know, for different reasons. It was an expensive game, it was a miniatures game, and it kind of felt corny though that was designed by sandy peterson the same guy that made the rpg so you know i looked at that and thought well maybe, maybe there's gonna be something to that but there's a game about the different factions of of evil fighting each other and i, I don't know that that wasn't something that was that interesting again i'm more interested in something that ha- that tells a good lovecraftian story minions of cthulhu spawn of cthulhu fighting the Children of Hestur is just. Eh. And you consider yourself a fan Not of the Cthulhu mythos, the Cthulhu stories? I do, yes, definitely. Definitely. I don't know, personally, to me, it doesn't do anything for me. I, I, I mean, if you had to pick a theme, you know, one of the classic themes, I'd say that the the three almost classic themes at this point in time are Cthulhu, sci-fi, and fantasy. And I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's basically the three classic themes at this point. No. You forgot farming? I suppose. <laughs> I, don't know, I think we could list like the classic themes. Oh, it's just not the one that does anything great for me. Yeah, no, I understand. But uh, I mean, it's yeah, and it's an interesting theme. It, I mean, there, there's so much out there, and it's just so many different takes on it. It's, it, it's like we said, it's like the new zombies in a way. <laughs> Love it or hate it, it's there. It's there. People are going to keep using it. All right. That's right. That's right. And like you said, it's free, so why not? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Cards of Cthulhu. The Cards of Cthulhu it was published in 2014 by Danvers and Games. It was designed by Ian Richard. And this is actually a, a Kickstarter game that they they did last year. Um, this is basically a, a dice and card game. It's, you mean a deck-building game? It's in this one. No, there is no deck building at all. It, it's a very simple flip some cards and then roll some dice to fight okay. the cards. It is the basic mechanic. 
there's there is another game called the cards of cthulhu that's coming out that is a deck building game apparently but that's not out yet oh well that doesn't get confusing at least i haven't seen it anyway no <laughs> i'm guessing that name's not gonna stay i'm guessing that will have to change at some point but this one is um so what you get in the box is is i think eight investigator cards a bunch of dice some tokens that are really nicely nice quality coins and metal coins and uh i don't probably like 110 cards or so of the deck you're playing against and so what's going on is there's these four different factions of monster cthulhu hastur and i don't remember the other two right now and they're they're trying to get to earth and take over the world i don't know if they're coming from another dimension or maybe cthulhu's sleeping in really under the sea or whatever but you know, one of these is going to show up, and you're trying to stop them. Um, you never fight the the big baddie himself. Um, they're called the Goo, the great old one. Um, you, you're fighting the different monsters and minions. The way it works is at the beginning of the game, you're going to pick an investigator. Or it's a one through four player game, so if there are multiple players, each person will pick an investigator. Each investigator has a different ability. There's a doctor that'll heal players cheaply there's a journalist there's a big game hunter there's a soldier um there's a millionaire i think i don't remember all of them but there you go they each give you a different ability that you could use throughout the game uh there is four player boards or not player boards but the monster boards and you're going to play the cards for each uh, each of the different factions out to one of it, those four boards and then there's a deck of cards that you can be drawing from every turn and they're generally bad, but they may have some, um, I forget what they're called, but they're basically like henchmen that you could collect, or monsters, or gates. And there's a couple different type of monsters. There's minions that have a number on the card, and then there's the, oh, shoot, let me look it up real quick. da 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 Okay, so there's minions and there's horrors. There's a minor horror, a greater horror, and a major horror. And so the the way the game is gonna work, each turn you're gonna you're gonna start with four coins. You can start the game with four coins in your character, and the coins represent experience points, which you could spend for different things. You're gonna go ahead and shuffle the deck of cards and flip four cards over, and play them out to the board. If, if they're a monster, then you play them like um, just a regular monster with a number. You play it on the top section. If it's a, a horror, one of the minor horrors or whatever, you play it face down. And you play each one on the appropriate board. The the minor horrors, at any point, if there's two monsters out, the mi- minor horror is going to flip over and he has shown up. The major horror, if you have three regular monsters, will flip over the major horror. And the greater horror, if you have four, will flip it. So you... And, and these guys are bad, so you want to not get two, three, or four of the other cards, which is, you, you can't help it from happening. Um, the other kinds of cards you could flip over as you're flipping cards are gates. If you flip over a gate, you put it on the board. What a gate does is you now draw one more card each turn. So if you just flipped over a gate, now you got to draw a fifth. If you happen to get another gate from one of the other boards, now you're going to draw six cards. And so each turn you're going to draw six cards until you start closing those gates. Um, the other kind of cards you can encounter in the deck are the henchmen. If you find one of those, they they have a cost to purchase. You can either choose to pay the experience points and buy the card, 
or if you don't want to or can't buy it, then you could just discard it and get one experience point for that person. And then there's also artifacts that you could find. And again, you could choose to buy it if you could afford it and want it, or you could just discard it and get the one experience point for it. And as you're playing the four cards, you could choose what order. So you may find that you drew a person you really want and an artifact that you don't. You could choose to discard the artifact to make your money and then pay for the person with that money or the other way around, up to you. Um, once you've done this, there's a quick phase where if any of the horrors are face up, you're going to take some damage, um, which is bad. And then you fight the monsters. What you do here is you choose one of the four boards to go to, and then you roll dice. Uh, you roll three dice normally, two health dice and a mm -hmm. body die. And you're going to roll those three dice. If you roll a one on the body die, that's bad. You're going to take some, you're going to lose some health, which means going forward as long, until you heal that, you're only rolling one of the green die, not two, uh, two of the health dice. Um, but you're going to roll the dice, and then you could re-roll once. You can never re-roll once, but you can re-roll the other numbers. Um, and I think there's an exception to that. And then what you want to do is those monsters that you have on the board, you could remove them by totaling up the value on the dice against the monster. So if you have a value 3 monster and you have a 3 die, you could use a 3 to get rid of the first monster and then use your other 2 dice for one of the other monsters. Maybe there's a 5 monster, you could add a 3 and a 2 die together or whatever. Um, those monsters go anywhere from number, I think, 2 up to a value of 10. Um, when you do that, you can fight those monsters. If there's horrors, you could also fight the horrors. If they're still face down because you haven't revealed enough of the regular monsters... You just have to roll a number of dice equal to the, the level of that monster, either 2, 3, or 4. And that lets you discard it. If they're face up, then you got to roll sets. So if it's a level 3 monster, you got to roll 3 of a kind. If it's a level 4, you got to roll 4 of a kind. The As you kill monsters, whether the horrors or the regular monsters... or min, The regular monsters are called minions, by the way. Minions. Uh, you get one... Yeah, you, <laughs> you get one experience point per minion and one experience point per level of the horror. And these experience points, I already said you could use them to buy things. If you've taken damage, you could spend three to heal. And you could also use them to close gates. So if there's an open gate, you could spend three to close a gate. And that's basically the way the game's going to work. The You've got all these different artifacts that could help you. There's some, there's, for example, one that says... Pay two to close the gate at any time. So that makes it way easier to close the gate. So that's a nice thing to buy. There's also an, a couple extra dice. There's these white dice. They're called blessed or blessing, I think. You could pay one experience point before you roll to roll extra white dice. Um, so normally you'd have the two green and the one red. You could maybe spend three experience points and add three dice, which would give you much better odds of doing whatever you're trying to do. That's that's the whole game, and it's very simple, so and it plays the, pretty quick. What's the goal again? I like um, to survive through the end of the deck. That's all you want to do. Um, once once the deck runs out, finish clearing out the boards of everything, and then you win the game. Okay. There's a couple ways to to fail. One is if you've taken a damage and you're now rolling two dice instead of three every round. If you take another damage. You lose the game. You you die. The other way is if... I mentioned if the horrors are face up, you have to spend experience points to defeat them. them. Um, 
If you don't have experience points, you can instead discard a, one of your your um, henchmen. If you don't have any henchmen, then you lose the game. So you always need to make sure to take care of these face-up monsters. And that that's the whole game. And it, it, it's really hard. I think I've played about uh, 10 times so far, and I think maybe I've won two games. Um... You know, sometimes sometimes it's pretty easy. Sometimes you know, or not pretty easy, but some some games I won, I did actually win really easily. Many I just I never felt like I had a chance. It's a real struggle. And as I'm flipping the cards, I'm dreading seeing what the next card is. And you know, I get my fourth yellow and I cringe because there's a, a a greater horror on the board. And now he's going to be flipped over to the to the revealed side. Um, so I find that the game actually has a lot of tension. Though I'll say it's like a light tension. It's definitely a light game. And and I've enjoyed it a lot. I've had a lot of fun playing this game. The art is very dark, very creepy. And so how much space does it take up? Well, it's got four boards. Um, the boards are each probably about a sheet of paper size. So it takes a little bit of space. It's not huge. You, you can have the four boards and an area for your cards and an area for mm-hmm. the deck you're drawing from in the discard. And your cards, you're normally going to start with one, but if you buy the henchmen and artifacts, you're going to end up with a... I don't know, maybe as many as five or six other cards. I haven't had more than that, I don't think. And there is another expansion coming out for it. It's apparently going to be kickstarted in a couple months, and that's going to add more decisions, I understand. Um, I don't know anything else about it. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah that, that's uh, Cards of Cthulhu. It's a neat game. I've really enjoyed it. I've had a lot of fun with it. It plays pretty quick. Like I said, there's tension where you're only the dice and frustrating when you fail and that sort of thing, which is, you know, it's always fun like that. It, it doesn't feel like it's easy and whatnot. Um, yep, that's it. I have nothing right. else to say about that game. So that's Cards of Cthulhu. So uh, do you feel it's better than some of the other Cthulhu entrants? I do, I, you know, in this one, you're, I'm not never fighting the big ones, actually, so the the, the goose, so it, it feels more realistic, and, you know, there's no chance of defeating Cthulhu, if he shows up, the game is over, that's it. Um, also, it's really hard. Chances of surviving seem really low you in like this game. really hard. And, and I like that. Be, because of what it is, because of the theme. The, I think it, it fits better with the theme. I, I don't okay. feel like you should be easily beating the monsters. If I is, if I was beating the monsters often, I feel like I was being cheated them, in this game. Just based upon luck of those dice. There, it's a lot of luck in the game. Um, there's a little bit of strategy in trying to save up money to buy an artifact when it shows up and that sort of thing, but that's so hard to control. And when you get a bad roll and you're now taking damage. You need to spend your your money to heal up. So, so, so there's, there's definitely or... a lot of luck in it. Oh, <sighs> maybe that's why I'm still losing because I think it's primarily luck, and I haven't figured out the strategy. <laughs> there's, I mean, there is some control, right? You could you're rolling three dice, but if you spend some coins, you could roll more dice. And but once so I think there, there's bad, some control in, in once you've been dealt a bad having hand, a good idea of how many dice out. to roll. There's nothing more you can do, right? Um, you could struggle to come back. One of the last games I played, I was, 
uh, I was really struggling and I felt like I was going to lose. And I, one turn, a really good artifact showed up. It was really expensive and I happened to have money, which by dumb luck is I hadn't had that money like the turn before. Um, so I was able to buy that artifact and what that gives you is one extra die every turn. And that just really changed the game for me. And I was doing great after that. And I was finding I almost ran out of money. And just going easy. And the character I had had a good ability. So it was a good combination of things. And then I got to the point where I was like six cards from the end of the deck. And about to win. And a whole bunch of the yellow cards. Here it is. Chogner Fong. His uh, minions came out. And I got overwhelmed by them. I could not, de- I could not uh, win the game. That's the other way you could lose. If you ever have five minions on the board at the end of the turn, you lose the game. And so you could, if you could go to that board and kill some, but there's other ways to manage it. There's one of the henchmen and one of the character mm-hmm. types that lets you move some of the small monsters around. It's a different board. But uh, yeah, it, it just got to the point where it was hopeless, unfortunately. And I was so close to the end of the game. I almost won that one. So and it's not it was that fun. complicated of a game, right? <laughs> Not at all. Um, though, you know, I find that I, and I think I mentioned this recently too, that with Danvers and games, I find the rule books a little oh, confusing. I don't know why, and I don't think, I think it's mainly just me. I don't I don't think it's a normal issue. They're well written, and once I, once I grok the game, I could figure things out pretty well, and I, I could use the book really well. But the initial reading through of the book is always hard for me. But it really is a light game. There's the, the couple phases... Doot doot. Julius is gone. You there? Or did you just hide your picture? Uh, yeah. Hello? Problem with playback device. Hello? Are you still recording? You're still recording, so that's good. Julius is gone. Julius is gone. Good enough for me. So yeah, that's the game. Um... Lost you. Uh, hold on, we'll try to get the call back. Let me just hang up. Do, 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 do. Sort of. I did lose internet. Well, no, I didn't lose. I didn't lose internet. I, I'm running Skype, and it says problem with playback device. And I said, "What? What are you talking about? Problem with playback device?" Oh, there you are. You're back. Sort of. <laughs> the computer fell on the floor. Anyway. So what were you saying? Oh, you're on your phone. <laughs> Did you lose internet? Oh, okay. What? Let me ask you. This is an older game, right? Weird. Okay. 
Cards of Cthulhu. Okay. Yep. And is it still available? Well, anyway. So, oh, I don't remember, but I think, you know, it's... You're asking me if there's luck or, or a strategy, and I said I think it's there's a lot of luck, that, but there may be some strategy. And probably with the reprint of the original game. No, this came out last year, 2014. Yes. Yes, I yes, I just got it at my retailer at my friend of the local game store about a month ago. It retails for forty dollars. Okay. And like I said, there's an expansion coming out. It's gonna be on Kickstarter next year, early next year, I think, is when they said. I guess so, yeah. Maybe they're running out, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Think. Let's see if it's let's see if it's available online. Yeah, they they just got like four or five copies in recently. Oh yeah, I put you down hard. Of Cthulhu. No, they don't have it on the cool stuff. Think. Denver. Let's see if it's available anywhere. <laughs> it's available miniature market put me down for 20 bucks and card house for 26 apparently <laughs> I'm looking at .com, excellent resource for finding inexpensive games game tutorials multiplayer games yeah it's in stock at cards of Cthulhu they seem to be out of it no it's just at my friendly local game store come to Greenville if you need a copy I would assume that you have no use for that. Wow, okay. Playing uh, single player. Uh, okay. Okay. The, okay, and there is a... Uh, Dan Versen has a bonus pack for it, which is basically another set of dice and coins, and that retails for about $20. sometimes I've run out of coins and one or two games actually 10 that it brought was not enough um in multiplayer game you definitely would need more than just uh the 10 it brings and the extra dice would be nice but not necessary I think I can't quite give it the proper voice but something like that um so yeah that's Cards of Cthulhu yeah and like I said it's gonna be on Kickstarter I don't know what that will bring alright so you like it but if you check out the Cards of Cthulhu BGG entry, you'll see, yeah, Very it'll cool. bring more. And, you'll see a thread there this, about it. Got this crazy box with a big guy trying to stomp around place. <laughs> yep. All right. I like it. I, I've enjoyed it a lot, definitely. It, thematically, I think it works well. Yep. Now, you know, one thing I'm going to suggest is um, when you play, when you take damage, there is no way to track it. Um, you just rolling one, one die less. And I kept forgetting. A few games I know I forgot to do that. So, you know what I did is I took all the player cards and I made photocopies of them, black and white photocopies. And then I cut them out and put them in sleeves behind the regular cards. So now, 
when my character takes damage, I flip him over from the color side to the black and white side. And that has been working really well. So, so I suggest doing that if you're having the same trouble I am with tracking the health. So there you go. Cards of Cthulhu. Thanks for listening. Next time you hear from us after this episode will probably be right after Thanksgiving. It should be. And then after Thanksgiving comes the holidays. Yuck. The Christmas holidays is such a nightmare here. Well, <laughs> it's because my wife works at, at, at a theater and every year they do a Nutcracker play. And... <laughs> And so she will be she'll be gone for a week and a half basically because of the play. So we won't see her much until the day of the play. Here we go, the twenty sixth. Podcast recording on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. There's the twenty sixth. Okay. And then you're not going to be able to edit it until after Thanksgiving. I mean, when are you going to edit it, man? Mm hmm. That's right. And so we'll record that day, which is fine. And then hopefully the day after, we'll do the interview. And then. Yeah, it'll be, I don't know exactly. Maybe I could do a little bit of editing beforehand. Maybe I could take my laptop with me and do some editing up there in Pennsylvania. But otherwise, it won't be until I get back. And I may be kind of busy, so I don't know. I'll figure, I'll have to figure it out. Danielle won't be around, so it'll just be me feeding the kids. Some kids, go eat some cereal milk. I'm going to do my podcast. <laughs> The, oh, no, they won't mind at all. Look, They'll love it. Oh, they don't have to eat yucky stuff like salad. They'll be so happy. The first night of Hanukkah is the sixth. So that will be... Where yeah. are we? Thanks. So that'll be the be 29th. 29th-ish. Which means we'll record again on the sixth. Yep. That's going to be at like 4.30. And then... And then publish the 13th. Hanukkah's the six. Like the menorah, ah, okay. Stories, Are you gonna be doing celebrating and stuff like that? Ceremonies. Okay. And it doesn't conflict your schedule up or anything. Jelly donuts. Okay. Jelly. Oh, okay. I had chili for. Nice and early. And then you play some dreidel. Yep. Yep. Like the menorah. Ah, luckies. Chili donuts? Oh, I was going to say chili. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
So, so that'll be the 6th, the 13th we'll publish, and then will be the 20th we'll be recording. Uh, I haven't been looking, I've been looking at the calendar. I've ignored it. Okay. Sure. You know what? I'm still recording. I'm going to stop. <laughs>